0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Emergency rooms across the country are experiencing significant strain. The province of Quebec's ERs have been operating at over 100% capacity since November. It's a very similar number in British Columbia, and plenty of other provinces are dealing with overcrowding and sometimes even ER closures. The Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians has asked governments, hospital workers, unions to work together for better access to care. Dr. Bernard Ho has some more insight to offer. Dr. Ho is an emergency physician at the University of Toronto. Dr. Ho, thank you so much for making time to be on the show today. I'm grateful for your perspective. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's almost such a big issue that it's hard to know where to start. But what are the key challenges facing ERs right now?
1: Yeah, so the major challenges that that we see in our emergency departments are an issue of overcrowding uh, and and a shortage of of frontline workers um, that are happening concurrently. And in particular, the challenges with overcrowding have been a a slowly evolving issue within our emerges for for decades. But, But as I'm sure you've heard many times before, the pandemic exacerbated these cracks in our healthcare system and really brought them to light. There's this this myth that that the long wait times and the overcrowded emergency departments are caused by patients coming in with simple issues or or non-emergent concerns, but the evidence shows that 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 isn't actually the case. We actually have an outflow issue in our our EDs, meaning the, the bottleneck is actually admitted patients waiting for an acute care bed on the wards or in the ICU, or alternate level of care patients waiting to be discharged to a nursing home or a long-term care home and who are not, unfortunately are, are stuck in the hospital. And part of the reason is the, the shortage of frontline workers that we've seen uh, since the start of the pandemic. Uh,
0: there's so much to unpack even from that one answer, but I wanna I wanna read between the lines a little bit there how much does a snowballing effect take place here where once there's a snag the snag just backs up and backs up and backs up
1: yeah that's sort of the the, the crux of the issue this has been a, a slow snowball effect for decades that and and um, our organization has been has been calling uh, for changes for that for years but really again the pandemic has exacerbated that snowball effect we've seen issues with lack of hospital beds with An aging population and and with uh, difficulties in vulnerable communities, and that has all exacerbated these uh, the problems that we're seeing today, you know, more people than ever are going to the emergency department for care again because of the aging population and because we've seen a steep increase in mental health and addictions issues since the start of the pandemic, and it also means that. that paramedics are often waiting hours in our emergency departments, uh, waiting to offload their patients to a hospital bed, which leads to a decrease in the number of available ambulances to answer calls in the community. So all of this leads to prolonged wait times, uh, delays in hospitalizations, and ultimately compromised patient care. You now, there have been instances where I've come onto a shift and I've seen you know ten paramedics waiting in the hallway. The other part of this is that our our physicians and nurses are really feeling the effects of these challenges, and it's leading to significant moral injury and and workforce burnout. You know, we're trained in emergency medicine in identifying life-threatening conditions and treating them. That's the hat that we're supposed to wear. But in the last few years, we've been forced to put on so many other hats, uh, a family physician hat, a psychiatrist hat, a social worker hat, a geriatrician hat. And it's simply because there aren't enough resources or frontline workers in the
0: community. You mentioned some of the burnout that's going on. Uh, there was a report out of Ontario a few weeks ago about workers dreading going to work. I. I obviously within the context of that number, it tells the story, but what what is the experience and what is the impact in terms of the workforce and the number of people willing to take on such an important role when the conditions on the ground are so rough?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've unfortunately seen a, a mass exodus of experienced nurses from our emergency departments since the start of the pandemic for, for many reasons. I think at the core of it, our nurses have felt undervalued and unsupported by, by the provincial and federal governments and you know, put in unsafe working conditions. And we've seen an alarming rise in violence in the emerge. And unfortunately, nurses take the brunt of that. And so the staffing shortages that result from that lead to a domino effect of emergency department closures, uh, reduced access to care, increased burden on the remaining nurses, and ultimately decreased patient safety. But I really, I think in order to address this, most importantly, we need to work on, on retaining our most experienced nurses. A lot of departments are focusing on hiring new newly graduated nurses, which that, that is a great step, but unfortunately, they can't replace the experience and the, the wisdom of seasoned nurses. You know, they still need to be oriented and, and supervised before they can independently care for our sickest patients. So we really need our governments to acknowledge the essential role that nurses have and provide wages and benefits that are commensurate with their contributions to the health of all Canadians. Um, I'd also like to see an increased focus on addressing burnout and mental health in our frontline workers and and more support for our staff to prevent violence in the workplace.
0: I was going to ask what could be done to offer better retention for the people who are doing this important work on the grounds? Because fundamentally, that goes back to sort of the snowball effect or the vicious cycle. If conditions are bad and people want to leave, it just, again, snowballs the crisis and snowballs the crisis. So maybe reiterate there, what are some of the things that can be done to alleviate staff retention and how that would would end up influencing the system positively moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just want to emphasize that again, the, the snowball crisis. When we have one, two, three seasoned nurses leaving our emergency departments, it, it causes a significant effect on, on the emergency department as a whole. It, it leads to an increased burden on the rest of the remaining nurses, and th- th- it's a huge hole to fill. And so again, we really need our governments to, to acknowledge these the contributions that these nurses have had over the past decades. And again, we need them to provide um, benefits and wages that that align with how much they've they've put into the, their their job and their careers and how much they've been able to help Canadians over the past you know many years um, is it's essential for the for helping to alleviate the crisis that
0: we're seeing currently. Quebec's health minister Christian Dubé a few weeks ago said, "Stop coming to the hospital. Go go to a CLSC. Go to a clinic." What's your reaction to politicians putting that line of thinking forward?
1: Yeah, you know, I I appreciate that that they're trying, um, you know, unconventional methods to to try and fix the crisis, but I, I think that's the wrong approach to take. You know, it, it's the patients who really are the ones that to declare their own emergency, and our job in the emergency department is to make sure that whatever symptoms they're coming in with, you know, if whether it's chest pain or abdominal pain, isn't actually a life-threatening condition. So for the patients who are coming in with chest pain, are they actually having a heart attack or is it more so um you know indigestion or or something um uh, more thankfully more minor um and so I, I don't think we should be telling patients not to come into the emergency department if if they don't feel like they need it you know that's the whole point of the emergency departments that we're open 24 7 we're always there if you need it and you know we're the ones who will who will help you decide whether or not the symptoms you're experiencing are actually dangerous
0: several provinces have suggested moving to a more private clinic model uh, that has uh, received uh, some praise and some backlash. What's your reaction to provinces thinking about more of these private clinic models? Yeah, I mean, the
1: evidence doesn't really support the use of Private for profit clinics as a, as a method of alleviating the burdens that we're seeing in our healthcare system. There are many different innovations that we can use within our public healthcare system to, to fix the, the crisis that we're seeing. Um, things like centralized referral systems, um, multidisciplinary teams. Um, and if you look again at the, the, the years and decades of evidence, it doesn't really support the use of, of these private clinics.
0: Dr. Ho, I'm so grateful for the perspective that you were able to offer on this important issue this morning. I'd love to catch up with you again down the road, but in the meantime, please keep up the excellent work. Thanks so much again for having me. That is Dr. Bernard Ho, an emergency physician at the University of Toronto. Coming up next, you are well aware in the rise of artificial intelligence and there's been a rise in popularity of AI relationships, human to computer relationships, But what's the bigger impact on human-to-human relationships? Kevin Shaw weighs in with his thoughts. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.